All right, let's get into it. Get into it, yeah. Okay, anyways. <laughs> That's also ADHD songs played in my head, every word I say. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Spiritually Divergent, where we explore our shadows to navigate the present and plant new seeds for the future. My name is Ariana, and I'm here with Courtney. Hey. What up, what up? I realize I say that every time, and I want, and I keep wanting to not say what up, what up, but it's just becoming green. <laughs> yeah, depending on my mood, mine is either hey or what up, what up, and yeah, I think it, it, if it's a routine we have, let's let it be. Yeah, that's very true. Less brain power being used. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, well, today's episode is going to be about hyperfixation. So, you know, we usually have our hyperfixation episode, which is based on topics that we're fixated on and we want to deep dive on. But we wanted to kind of explain what hyperfixation is for us and what that state looks like and flowing into it and maybe coming out of hyperfixation as well. Yeah, how to know maybe when it's crossing a line and how to get yourself out of it and take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's start with the cards here. See what we get. Okay. So it's so funny because I pulled this the other day and oh. while I was driving here to work, this word kept coming up on my podcast that I was listening to and I was thinking to myself, we're going to pull that card today. It's a death card. Ooh, what's dying? <laughs> so I, there's a lot of misconceptions about the death card. People get scared and it's really not a bad thing. It's just rebirth and, you know, leaving the old behind so that you can have seeds for something new. So exactly yeah. when one door closes that leaves space for another one to open you know right <laughs> so let me get the affirmation going and then we'll think about how death relates to hyperfixation Ooh, I have so many things popping up in my head okay <laughs> but I'll okay. pull the card first <laughs> and try to remember oh my god we've gotten this one before too I recognize that I have chosen fear I choose again I choose love okay okay Okay, so what's popping up? Um, fear associated with hyperfixation, fear of running out of an idea, fear of running out of energy, fear of lack of information. <laughs> yes. They're all of the things that I associate with hyperfixation and why it's so hard to stop sometimes is mm-hmm. fear that I won't be able to get in the same flow state that I was in before. Mm-hmm. That all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. We always talk about with ADHD. It's like, if I don't do it all right now, I may never come back to it. So I kind of have to hyper focus on it. Yeah, yeah. Hyper fixate on it because. Let's just let's make the distinction here for those yeah. who doesn't know. Yeah, so hyperfixation and hyperfocus are not necessarily the same thing. Um, so hyperfixation seems to be more of an obsession type of thing. Like you're so and like the hyper you think of very like obsessive anyways, very overstimulated, like that's that energy. Um, whereas the fixation piece is like a persistent concentration, like where nothing else matters and it tends to last longer. Whereas hyperfocus is more of a flow state and people without ADHD can experience hyperfocus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like getting into that natural flow state of like really focusing on a topic and concentrating um, and being able to move and flow with it. And you're moving from a place of joy when you're hyperfocusing, you're like, you don't really have a care. You're just like, I'm really focused in this where hyperfixation can become, can come from a place of anxiety and fear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kind of propelling you to keep fixating on this topic and, and can lead to an unhealthy response of, you know, neglecting yourself, not eating, not going to sleep, like not going to the bathroom, like just neglecting basic needs when you're in a hyperfixation state. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more of that prolonged obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that kind of fits for us with our hyperfixation episodes, because those are things that we keep coming back to you know our favorite tv shows or our favorite movies I don't know that those are examples of it crossing into an unhealthy territory but definitely like we 
we deep dive and kind yeah, of for sure. like for example avatar i know whenever yeah. i'm watching that it's like everything <laughs> and i'm finding so much symbolism in it but i love this fear stuff because something i wanted to mention today was i've started doing this with my clients and so of course then i realized i should do it with myself that whenever someone's hyper fixated i try to find the deeper meaning of like what is it that is so important about this topic what is it that's giving you life is there yeah. something we could learn about yourself in this topic is there a reason why you're drawn to this certain type of relationship do you want that relationship for yourself so yeah. there always is something deeper that maybe we're avoiding yeah. having for ourselves so yeah. that's why it's like when we see it in a tv show or if we want to exercise all of our control over this little task there's mm. always something deeper that we're like running from you know control is the big word here yes. it's for me because i feel like when I was growing up, a lot of my frustration about my ADHD was the lack of control over my own brain, the lack of control over my own thought process, the lack of control of being able to detach and not hyperfixate or become like snappy if things were in order. And like, I think about times where like, <laughs> I think I've said this before, but in class, I used to get so irritated if people talk to me because I was either going to be super focused and pay attention to the teacher, or I was going to talk to somebody the whole time. There was really no in-between. Like, I couldn't get distracted with side conversation because then I was never going to be focused. But then I would notice myself also getting irritable because if my teacher wasn't moving fast enough, like, if they weren't teaching fast enough for to fuel my hyperfixation in a way. I would get irritated because I, I want to hyperfixate on this. I really want to talk about it. I want to go into that. And then I wasn't getting that and I would get irritable about it. Instead of like, like I was saying, hyperfocus is more, comes from more of a joyous place. It's like, I'm in a flow state. So there's less pressure because I'm flowing where the fixation is like, you know, I'm so obsessed. I need this to go the way that it's supposed to go to, to, it's almost like a, a scratching an itch. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I need to go a certain way to fully scratch my itch. We talk about this after I watch a new movie or watch something, best believe I'm going to look up the whole cast <laughs> because what I'm going to be like, where did I see that person before and something else? And then I want to know the backstory about the movie. And it's like, what's oh, the like, time period some... that they're living right? in and how did this but... story come to be? <laughs> I have so many questions that I want answers to because I want to understand it. And um I, I feel like that's also why a lot of people uh, with ADHD, in my experience, can predict shows, can mm -hmm. predict thrillers and stuff, because we have really good pattern recognition. And I don't know if it's from hyperfixating on previous topics or like all of that, but that allows us pattern recognition. But yeah. I love that you bring up pattern recognition because when we decided a couple of days ago, let's have our next topic be hyperfixation. So of course, I just naturally start thinking about it. And I started thinking, I think we hyperfixate because we need to figure out the pattern. It's yes. like, okay, this thing is really stimulating for me. Let me figure this shit out and make sure I know all of the ins and outs of how this works. Right. Yes. Or even yes. like, like an example I think of, and maybe this is more hyper-focused, but I think for me, it can cross into hyperfixation. Yeah. Is cleaning or like, I love big organization tasks where I'm just like dumping shit out and then organizing it and getting rid of a bunch of it. And then getting it all back in a new tidy place okay. and I think it crosses in <laughs> what come do that for me right I've always like low-key wanted to be like a hoarder's person on the show you know like helping them okay. and I could be there for the emotional part too you know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um but I think that can be a hyper focus for like neurotypical people but then I think for me I notice it crossing into hyper fixation when I'm like planning it in my mind I'm like okay I I'm falling asleep thinking about, okay, these are all the things I'm going to get rid of. Now I have to get five new bins so that I can organize this stuff. And I think it's like, I'm trying to create a pattern for this big chaotic, maybe like my doom closet, right? We all have one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's coming from a place of control, right? So I think I love that you bring up pattern recognition because I think it's our brain sensing that there's a pattern and like really needing to figure it out. Yes. And I love that you say that because I have two thoughts about that. Um, the first thought is pattern recognition. I think about this goes back to the school thing. Um, I think about 
pattern recognition of ideas like as well so with ADHD I feel like one my ability to grasp different ideas and concepts and meld them together to try to figure out the pattern is what sets my creativity above others and it's something where that's why it can be hard for me to explain my creative my creative process to others because I haven't recognized the pattern myself yet so I can't articulate it in a way that makes sense for other people because the pattern hasn't been established and patterns are so much easier to share and create understanding than just random thoughts all over the place. So like I'm waiting for my brain to create a pattern so I can articulate to you what I'm trying to do and what my end goal is because sometimes I feel like one, either my brain knows what the end goal is, but it doesn't know how to, how to say how I got there. So it can't explain the pattern process Or it's like, I'm still flowing through the pattern that I don't know the big picture yet. So it's like either one or the other. And I'm not going to share it with you until I know it for sure. Because that opens the door to judgment (laughs) of you not understanding my process. I'm not going to tell you until I know. (laughs) And the rejection sensitivity. And as soon as you get into my bubble, then that takes away some of the control too. Like, Mm. I feel like I definitely, especially in school, going to school for design, like other people's like opinion is gonna matter (laughs) and I feel like I did a good job for the most part um being really neutral understanding that I was gonna get feedback and I had to learn to accept feedback not in a negative way of like someone attacking me personally Mm -hmm. but in them observing my design even though your design is a part of you but that's just like a whole nother topic (laughs) um But in also learning of like letting go in some ways, like being aware of like, okay, why am I so rigid to this idea? Why am I not open to changing where this door is in this building or the layout or the material or the texture? Like, why am I so fixated on this type of like, what is the conversation or the emotion that I'm trying to share? Because I feel like I've always been very much so an emotional designer. And I think about things in the sense of how will it make others feel? And what is the emotion I'm trying to get across? And that's why I'm so fixated on this idea and I can't let it go. And, you know, I've had professors who have been like, well, it's not going to work, shut it down. Where And then I've had other professors who were some of my favorite who were like, asking me critical thinking questions like I feel like that is what is needed (laughs) as well you figure it out yeah exactly with fixating and I feel like that is something my mom taught me from a young age too was like to ask myself critical thinking questions when I would be like hyper fixated on a topic and I struggling to write a paper because I'm in a deep rabbit hole trying to learn over over consumed with information that's not going to fit in this small amount of words so I don't know what my main topic should be (laughs) and I have a lot to say (laughs) I love that I feel like you just described something that I never knew I experienced because I just used I almost used to just love that feeling or crave that feeling though of knowing like all right I got two days to write this paper this is going to be my life this yeah. is going to give me life for the next two days, yeah. this topic. Yeah. And I'm going to go down the rabbit hole and write a bomb ass paper. That's so true. There is something really exciting. <laughs> but I think that could be, that's the hyper-focus. I think that's what it starts out mm. as, is the joy of the hyper-focus of like, I'm going to give this all of my attention. And I think that's why sometimes waiting until the last minute, at least for me, when it comes to certain projects, I'm not saying this is healthy by any means, but I'm saying that in ways, sometimes waiting, waiting for the last minute to write a paper was helpful because like I said, I had so many ideas and then I just had to instantly scrap stuff. There was no time for second guessing. I just had to make a decision based off of the knowledge I had and go with it and like, just be like, okay, this is what this is. Like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know what else but like I need to just like be more decisive and take more action and that can be really exciting too <laughs> yeah I think there's a certain dopamine rush that comes with it and then I'm sure that goes into hyperfixation as well as because if it's giving me dopamine of course I'm gonna stay yeah. focused on this topic because it's like one of the few things giving me dopamine you know yeah absolutely so it, I, it probably becomes some sort of like frontal brain stimulation at that point which makes total sense now that I say it out loud because you're ignoring like your lizard brain as we call it in psychology is the back of your brain that's like regulating your body temperature telling you you're hungry or you need to go to the bathroom 
So it makes total sense they were like stuck up here and thinking yeah. like dopamine, dopamine, tasks, tasks, tasks. Yeah. And oh no, I don't have to pee. I'm not hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then hours go by and then all of a sudden it like hits you and you're like, when's the last time I ate? When's Am I going to pass time? out? Right? Exactly. Why am I so irritable? And like, for me, like I've experienced that when I've like been building models or like working on projects and I get really irritated and things just aren't working. And that's when I notice like, okay, I've been doing this for too long. Like when's the last time I ate? I need to drink some water. I need to stand up. I need to move because I'm going to make this worse by trying to control it in a way that like I need to take a step back. Like I'm too in the hyperfixation that I no longer can problem solve and I no longer can think effectively. And I think that's when it switches from a hyperfocus to a fixation is because in the hyperfocus, I feel like I can still execute things in a manner um, and I can still problem solve. But I think when I'm fixating, my ability to problem solve goes away because I just, I'm fixating on one outcome. And I think that's the control piece too. Like I'm fixating right. on one outcome happening instead of the possibilities that could come from it if I let myself flow. Yeah, exactly. And I think it becomes deeper questions of like, why am I seeking so much control in this task right now or this project? Is there yeah. something else going on in my life that I feel I don't have control over? So yeah. that we can work on that separate piece to be able to find the balance and be more in a joyful, hyper-focused state. But what if there isn't something else? Like, what if everything else in your life feels great, but you're still kind of just hyper fixating? And I do think that's, I do think that's completely valid because at the end of the day, it's also like a neurobiological thing that's happening in our brain, regardless of emotions. But mm, I don't know. Then again, now that I say that out loud, it's like the patterns that created those neurobiological connections of ADHD likely were created in our childhood and based off of the emotions that we were feeling and maybe we were feeling a lack of control that's true and those neural pathways are probably stronger because we've relied on them for so long for coping right and And it's always that like nature versus nurture like I'm sure some of it was just there neurobiologically to begin with but I think our environments play a big role yeah. Is there, can you, like, I feel like they've done studies on that. Like if ADHD is nature versus nurture, I feel like I've seen some stuff on that. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And that's, <laughs> and that's the, one of the things that I love about psychology is that question comes up every single time on every single thing. And it's yeah. like, no one really knows the answer because it's always like a decent mix of both. And there's always random outlier cases where it's like this this did not live in their genetics at all. Like this is not in their family history at all. And here it is. Yeah. And then there's yeah. cases that show the opposite. And that's kind of what I love about these things. Yeah, that's fair. Ugh, the tingles. Right. Um, I did just get uh, a deep dive. <laughs> um, but okay. I said there were two things, but now I can't remember the second thing I was going to say. Um, that feels like forever ago. I know it really, that's, that's what usually happens. What were we talking about a couple notches ago? Um, Um, The pattern recognition, I think. It was about that, but I can't remember where I was going with it. But um, I think the biggest thing is noticing what other mental health things can come with your ADHD. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I definitely have anxiety. And so I feel like my fixation can feed off of my anxiety to the point where I'm fixating to perfectionism, which then that's when it becomes unhealthy. And I'm, like I was just explaining, I'm no longer in a flow state and I become really rigid. And that's when my perfectionism kicks in and like perfectionism I associate with control anyways, like the need for everything to be right and perfect. And I also want to go back to, I feel like a lot of people with ADHD when they're younger, are really good at things naturally and like we just have the ability to sometimes pick things up and it's easy and it's just like it's fun but then when we get to the point of having to dive deeper and kind of build the layers of sustainability is when we lose interest and lose can lose dopamine sometimes Mm -hmm. um so I feel like that also is a factor in playing in how the hyperfixation works and it makes me wonder like People say a lot of people with ADHD, you know, we love new hobbies, we love new things, and like we switch hobbies very often. Is that a fixation or is that a focus? Yes, I love that you say that. And I was just thinking 
that because an example that popped to my mind was, for example, paddleboarding. A couple of years ago, the first time I went paddleboarding, I was in that flow state. Like it's just this meditative movement. You're surrounded by water, nature, right? And I was like so happy in this flow state. But then I think it turned into hyperfixation because all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm buying a fucking paddleboard. I don't care how much I have to put on my credit card. I'm getting a paddleboard. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then every time I would like plan to go paddleboarding after that, it became this like over preparation of like, oh my God, I have to go do this. I have to go do this so that I could access that flow state. So I think you ask a really good question. I'm sure it can be a little bit of both. Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. Like, cause then also I feel like it can become a chore and that makes you like put it off more because it's like, okay, I no longer am feeling joy just by the thought of this. It feels like something I have to do in order to experience this instead of something Mm -hmm. that I naturally am attracting to do and something I naturally am doing for myself versus doing for the idea that every time I go paddleboarding now, I have to be in a flow state. Yeah, which I think in a lot of, again, the control. Yeah. It becomes like an easy, tangible thing to grab to that like, okay, I can now control something that helps me go into a flow state. I can now have a say on when I choose to go into a flow state. And maybe that speaks to a deeper need to like access natural flow without it having to be a task or a hobby. But um, when you were asking that question too, I was being reminded of this death card because that's what first popped up for me when we pulled the card is that our hobbies and our hyperfixations with ADHD die quickly or like we'll be obsessed with something for a couple months and then it's like never come back to it ever again, which yeah. I think in some ways is maybe a good thing if we're thinking about it as like death and rebirth and something you always say is we learn from our hyperfixations. Like we hyperfixate for a reason because it's something we're meant to learn about. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's an aspect that is helpful. I don't know. No, I think we definitely, I mean, that's the, I feel like that's the upside of a, of a fixation is that you're learning, you're gaining knowledge. And I feel like knowledge is so helpful. And I say that, yeah, I do say that like, I might not know why I need this knowledge now, but I, I'm going to need it in the future for some reason. And if it's not to just randomly like say random facts to people sometimes just because I happen to know, but it's, um, I think that that is true. And I, I, but I also want to say that I don't know if it's necessarily, I think back to this relates in some way. I just, you know, gotta, we'll gotta find there. my pattern, gotta find the pattern. I trust um, you. but I think about when I was younger I think when I was like a freshman in high school and I was going into college and I mean not going into college I was going into high school and I had to make a bunch of decisions between if I wanted to stay in orchestra or if I wanted to do engineering because they were at the same time and then I had to make a decision okay between French and between again engineering or between sports and between like this or that and like always having to make choices that I feel like the school system forced me to do so I had to become perfect at one task and that had to become my identity and I ended up ending creating death well I mean I still like you know I had a violin instructor outside and so I was still able to do those things for myself but I feel like it was a death I didn't ask for a death I was forced into having in order of in my mind being typical which was meaning that I could only be good at one thing and not good at multiple things at the same time that weren't related you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so I feel like for me like when I think about death too and and like we were saying the lack of control and why I think that I sometimes control things so much when it comes to hobbies is because I wasn't given that before Ooh, I feel so much emotion coming up with that like I just feel for teenage Ariana you know having to choose and going through a forced death yeah and and that and now as an adult feeling that sense of control that okay now I can choose so I'm gonna fucking choose everything (laughs) yeah exactly exactly I want to do it all like I and I I don't and I feel like that's the hard thing like I feel like I was not given the opportunity to pick I was led and guided to what was supposed to be best for me but I didn't get to go through the experiences to make the decision for myself 
on what was actually my priority at the time. Yeah. It reminds me of something you said before we jumped on the call too, is that it's not, ADHD isn't necessarily attention deficit, it's attention abundance. And it's society that forces us into like having to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. And there's abundance of knowledge and activities and things for us to do. And why can't we do a little bit of everything? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It might not seem like a good enough amount of time. Like, and that's, that goes back to what I was saying that I feel like society teaches us that, that if you go down one path, you have to master it and you have to become a master at every task that you do. And I think that wanting to become a master is when we lose the joy and the natural flow of the activity instead of just doing it because we enjoy doing it. Like, why does it have to be more than just is simply bringing us joy? Yeah. Two things come up for me when you said that. I remember when I got that, um, when that lady looked at my chart a couple months back for my birthday, she was like, you are not meant for just one thing. Like you need to, you've been trying to force yourself into one box and you just need to accept that all of the things you're interested in, you're like, that's okay. And just follow what makes you feel good. And I, it was just so nice to have someone validate that. And um, it reminds me too of the Japanese concept of ikigai, which I think we've talked about before, which actually I just reminded myself too. I wrote a paper on that in college it was one of my community college classes that I took during high school, but I remember being so fixated on Icky Guy, and then randomly it popped back up as an adult, and I was like, oh my god, this is that one thing that I was like obsessed with for a week. And anyways, it's this Japanese concept of your happiness in life does not have to come from just one thing, or your career and your purpose does not have to just be one thing. So it's this idea, it's the visual is kind of like a Venn diagram with multiple circles of like your center happiness that is a combination of all of these things can be something that you help people, something that's just a hobby that you don't get paid for, something that just brings you joy. And then here's the other thing that you actually do to pay the bills. And it can be a mix of all of these things to create your unique version of happiness. And I love that because everyone does have a different, unique version of happiness. Not every task or every experience or every like sequence of things is going to create the same joy for everyone. And so I think that thinking of ourselves as our own little Venn diagram, um, I think can be really helpful in understanding what brings us joy in different outlets and allowing ourselves to have different outlets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember a couple years back, I was really obsessed with pour painting, where you put Mm -hmm. the paint in the Mm -hmm. cups, and then you pour it, and you blow it with the hairdryer. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and I did it. I did quite a few nice little projects, and I keep thinking to myself recently, like, oh, I should do that again, and then I'm like, oh, I just don't really, like, I'm just not super drawn to it anymore, but it was, it helped me flow at the time. It brought me happiness at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I feel when I pick up any artistic hobby but that's the thing I am a creative so it doesn't matter what kind of medium I'm using to create as long as I'm creating I think that that's what is exciting for me and I think that's what I've realized like when I get new hobbies of like oh I want to paint or I want to do this I think of it as like I'm gaining new techniques to help with different projects and like help me kind of overlap and try using it with a different medium with a different texture and I love that yeah. One example that I can think of of like, and I, it's interesting because I felt like this was a hyperfixation in the moment, but maybe it, I guess it wouldn't have been hyperfocus because I got so irritable. But anyways, just an example I'm thinking of recently, I was helping my son with his Lego. He loves building Legos. He gets like the ones that are for adults and he can sit and work on it. And I and like the peace finder for him and then he sits and puts it all together and then I always sometimes have to double check his work because if one piece is a little off it like messes up the whole rest of the sequence you know so anyways I'm double checking his work and this whole piece is fucked up and (laughs) I literally the whole rest of the day I was trying to clean and like was taking breaks to cook and everything but literally the whole rest of the day I spent taking apart this lego looking at the book 
trying to look through our other Lego bins to find like missing pieces. And we couldn't figure out why the pieces were missing. And I was like, it's okay. We can figure out a way to like create the same piece out of these other pieces that we have, you know? And oh, yeah. I got so obsessed with it that I was like snapping at my son. <laughs> and he's like just trying to build his Lego. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and you know what? cracked me up at the end of it and this is what snapped me out of it and made me laugh at myself the reason why we were missing all of those pieces was because he was reading a page that we had already done so I was literally trying to make the same piece that was already on the lego out of legos from home because he just had it on the wrong page (laughs) and I think that it just occurred to me afterwards that's an example of how you can take it so far when yeah, it may not be necessary. <laughs> I feel that sometimes I feel that when I am like playing with my little cousins and stuff of like, I find myself getting irritated if they're not doing it the right way or like doing something. And it's like, they're kids, they're being creative. They're just like, they're, they're doing whatever they want to do. And like, I am jealous in, in a way of that freedom of that inability to not be warped, you know, anymore by society that like, oh, this is what it means for a doctor or like, I can be a doctor and fly on the moon. Like, you know, like I can do all like, you know, like that ability of the thought is endless. And I feel like sometimes that fixation means that you're creating a bubble or a dome for yourself that like everything has to fit in this area in order to be correct. And there's no room for new information to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just gave me a thought too. I wonder if that dome, like having to fit everything into a dome is coming from a place of like trying to fit ourselves into society's standards of like, okay, I finally picked a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it has to be everything so that yeah. I can show everybody that like, it's been I did it. I did it. I'm not just this person that like has a bunch of hobbies and doesn't follow through. Like, cause I feel like that's the pressure of society is that if you stop doing a hobby, it's, oh, you gave up because you didn't have the drive instead of, oh no, that just doesn't serve me anymore. It just doesn't bring right. me joy anymore. And it doesn't mean that it can't later on in life, but like, I feel like that is a lot of pressure that can be put on us is like, well, if you don't make this your whole life, if you don't plan on being perfect and mastering this, then you're wasting your skills. You're like, you could be really good at something, but you're wasting your skill by not doing it. And it's like, well, I'm doing it for you. I'm no longer doing it for myself. And I feel like then that's when the happiness leaves. And then that's when the motivation can leave as well. Yeah. When really it's okay to let the natural death process happen and we don't always have to be the master or stick to one thing yeah and just because also like I don't think that it necessarily has to be the death of the specific task or the specific like let's say like piano like it doesn't have to be like oh I'm no longer doing piano anymore it's the death of piano it's like no it can be the death of my relationship with piano at that time it can be the death of how I see myself and how I interact with this object or this idea that's what's dying and that death is needed for me to then bring it in to a new pattern to something new and have a new perspective on it and maybe have it come come from a more authentic place yeah yes I love this because you never like the word death (laughs) like it's always a little too extreme and I think you're right it's like it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to mean that it's gone forever it just means the the way that you use it or the way that you interact with it changes Yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely so I love, I prefer that, (laughs) which is still a death. And I mean, that's the whole thing is that people think that death is the end, but it's just a cycle of rebirth in a new way. And, you know, all of that, you know, you can't, energy never dies, right? Like there's always an exchange and transfer of energy. So it's the exact same thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we mentioned like irritability, forgetting to eat, not going to the bathroom. Are there any other signs you notice for yourself when it's like gone too far? Um, yeah, I think that irritability is the biggest one for me, honestly, because my mood can change drastically if I just eat. <laughs> <laughs> <So true. laughs> 
<laughs> so like <laughs> sometimes like it really can and like I've been on the phone with my mom before trying to do something and I'm just like super irritable and she's trying to talk and I'm like I'm trying to do this thing like why are you talking and she's like dang did you eat today and then I'll be like oh no. shit <laughs> I didn't I didn't yeah I didn't you're right I'm gonna go eat a snack and I'll call you like I've literally called her back and be like sorry I was hungry but like yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that but yeah I think the irritability the lack of food forgetting to the bathroom I don't know how my brain does that um or yeah. just like forgetting losing track of time is really easy just not even hours can go by and I spent hours doing something really small and it's like why did I why did I do that that was not effective but sometimes I like not being rushed at the same time like I love that is a different kind of flow for me not feeling rushed and not feeling like I have to complete something in a certain time frame Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite things sometimes that can be dangerous of its own of thinking I have more time than I actually do right less work done but in other situations it can be a nice flow state so I don't know I think it's just observation I think that sometimes it can be helpful like let's say if you have a big project like setting timers for a couple hours to make sure you take breaks like force breaks or just remember to look at the time because I feel losing track of time can be the easiest way to get into a hyperfixation. yeah I do have something that I do whenever I know I'm going to like deep dive into a cleaning project or an art project or something. I will like grab a protein bar and just put it like on the table (laughs) or somewhere that I'm going to see it so that mid hyper focus or hyper fixation, I can be like, oh, let me eat that. And it's just something really quick and I can eat it while I'm still working. But it's this visual reminder that like, hey, eat me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I like going to like coffee shops. And that's why I feel like being around other people can be really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but like with ADHD can be really helpful to just have an accountability buddy. We don't have to talk. We can just sit there and do work together. Yeah. But someone else's presence. And being aware of someone else's presence, I think, can also help me when I'm in a hyperfixation state because it's like, okay, I can be mindful of time. I can be mindful of just like my energy of like where I am like I it allows like a different kind of awareness like it keeps me connected to reality in a way like oh shit the sun is setting like I don't so I don't exactly so I don't go into a deep hyperfixation sometimes it can be helpful because it's like okay awareness I have to be more socially aware (laughs) another thing that I notice is if I'm justifying overspending like money that I don't have or just swiping my credit card just to make this fixation real or to like you know do the project or do the thing that's a sign that like it's too far there's a deeper need like let's look at the deeper need and how you can meet that for yourself without spending $500 on organization bins or something (laughs) yeah that's so true that's so true oh this is what I was gonna say I'm glad you brought that up again (laughs) <laughs> um, this is my thought from before that I couldn't remember. Yay, um, the back thought. I know. Um, is that when you were talking about bends in the hyperfixation in your mind of like that's how you know you're hyperfixating is when you're thinking about like, okay, I need this many bins and I need this many that. I feel like mm-hmm. for me, sometimes the hyperfixation can lead me into a paralysis mode when it comes to things like that. Like oh, I'm just thinking about the bins. I'm thinking about the organization. I'm thinking I'm hyper fixating on the layout of the space and what changes I can make for it to be perfect in one go, you know? And I'm so hyper fixated on it, on like having it all work together and look the way I want to in one go when I'm reorganizing that sometimes it can become paralysis and I become irritated because the fixation or the layout in my mind isn't actually going to work and I need all new things. (laughs) Yes. I I love that you say that because I can think of two times off the top of my head where I've done that. For example, like redoing my son's room. I think for his third birthday, I like painted a mountainscape on his wall. I got him new shelves. I got all these new decorations, a new bed. And I was like buying it all and planning it for this one weekend. And then of course, 
telling myself I'm going to get all this done in one day (laughs) and then things don't work out. And I'm like, shit. Oh my God. Like I remember being so irritated that it just took so much longer than I expected because I had it all planned out and I was going to do it all at once. And you know, it's irritating when that doesn't pan out, but again, it's probably coming from a place of control. Yeah, absolutely. And so then that's when it goes to like, planning can be helpful, but you can hyper fixate on planning too. Like you can hyper fixate on every little detail and making sure it goes in every little order before doing it. And then that's when the irritability comes from, because it's not going off the checklist that you have. Right. And it's not working out how you imagined it in your mind because you haven't done it yet, or you don't have experience doing that. You just think it's going to work out. Right. (laughs) And when the irritability starts to take over, I think that's when it's helpful to start to ask yourself, what's the deeper thing here that I'm trying to control? And I think in that scenario for me, and I do remember reflecting on this afterwards, probably with my therapist, um, that I think it was coming from a place of really wanting to be intentional about my son's life. And really like knowing, noticing that he's growing fast and like, oh, I want to do some of the things that I've been saying I want to do for him. So realizing that maybe that doesn't have to only be an art project in his room. Maybe that means also taking him out in nature more often and being more intentional with things I teach him and the things I talk to him about and the way I connect with him. Right. So it's like expanding the hyper focus into other areas so it can trickle down into more of a lifestyle I guess rather than the task or the tv show or whatever it is you know yeah but I think that sometimes I mean I think that's a great question to ask yourself but I feel like in the moment that might be hard oh absolutely like you're so aware so I guess I want to think about things that you can do in the moment if you are in a hyper fixation, like you can tell it you're getting irritable, you're doing something like, I feel like for me, when I notice that I'm in a hyper fixation, if I don't eat right away, or like, I don't have anything on hand, what I like to do, or what I've done in the past is usually I'll like, I'll have to walk and leave whatever room I'm in, I need to go to a completely different space, I might sometimes need to go walk outside, Yeah. that or I will like to go into a dark room like somewhere where I can minimize some of my senses because I feel like in a hyperfixation I can become over even like even more overstimulated and so I need to minimize some of my senses and sometimes being outside and feeling the wind is like a reminder to come back to my body or being in a dark room is a reminder that I can close my eyes I can just listen I can just focus on my breathing like I feel like I need to think about other senses and like really find home in my body again because I think that sometimes like you're saying that hyperfixation in the front and in in that front place like you're very much so in your head that you're no longer in your body as much and so I think just like reminding yourself like finding ways to come back to your body and pay attention yes yes And I think of tapping as well. There's this, there's so many different ways that you can do it, but originally it comes from something called emotional freedom technique. And it's just tapping on different areas of your body that you intuitively feel called to as a way to reground yourself in your body. And then you also speak while you're saying it with the intention of tapping those words into your body. So like, I am calm. I can be creative and joyful at the same time. And sometimes it helps to just acknowledge the feeling before you try to shift it into like a super positive message for yourself. Like a lot of the times I'll start by just saying like, I'm experiencing anxiety or I'm going a little too hard right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm refocusing on my breath. So acknowledging the emotion and then gently shifting into like, okay, I am hyper fixated right now. I'm taking this moment to focus on my breath. I'm yeah. setting an intention that I can finish this project joyfully yeah. and let go of perfectionism or whatever it is. And sometimes I feel like I've been in deep, like this is like three in the morning working on a project <laughs> and I have to cry sometimes. Like I hyperfixation mm-hmm. has led me into tears because yeah. things aren't working the way that they're supposed to. And I'm freaking out and I'm stressed about deadlines, but I'm also like, 
I've been hyper fixating for so long that I'm redoing work. Like you were saying, I'm on the same page. Like I'm working on the same page and I'm not progressing. And I'm, I'm stressing myself out because I'm on the same page in my mind and I can't get to the next page because I don't have any fuel in my body. I don't have anything to help me get there because I've been neglecting my body. And so I, I think that, yeah, being allowing yourself the emotions I can't tell you how many times I've cried and then laughed <laughs> at myself over how hyper fixated I was and like why was that such a big deal but you know you just have to acknowledge your emotions and let them out and let them flow sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah it's so funny too because my partner while I was working on the lego it was we I had let the kids stay up way past their bedtime because I could not focus on putting them to bed because I was just like I have to finish this fucking Lego yeah. and my partner came downstairs and said to my son mom's in her ADHD mode you just gotta <laughs> let her be and that even that kind of snapped me into the awareness of like oh damn I'm going really hard on this like for yeah. why it's just a Lego set right but I like what you said it's deeper than the Lego set itself like yeah. it's deeper than that and I think it part of our intention with this conversation is to validate anyone with ADHD or neurodivergence is like, it's okay. Your brain is going to respond differently to hyper fixation to the point where it like bothers you. Like, and that's the difference is that hyper focus people, neurotypical people maybe can work on a project until three in the morning, but not be crying about it or going into a panic attack about it. So I think in some ways, I just want to normalize that if you do feel those extreme reactions to the point where you're like bothered that you're fixated so much, that is a neurodivergent thing. And these are the suggestions that we would have to help yeah. yourself through that, you know? Absolutely. And like, I, it goes back to the affirmation card of like, I think that it's acknowledging, am I, am I focusing on this from a place of fear? Or, you know, because I, like we were saying, the drastic emotional change that you can have during a hyperfixation is, it, it, I mean, that's why I feel like sometimes you can ebb and flow, like with ADHD, like you hyperfixate so much that then you burn yourself out right. to the point where you're just so physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted. Like, I can't tell you how many times after in school, like after finals, like after hours weeks of hyper fixating on something I would get sick or yes. I would lose my voice or like there would be some physical response because I had been neglecting my body because I was in such a hyper fixated state that I no longer could take care of myself in a way and I think that also being aware that let's say like if you are in school like I would do this sometimes I um would know that I was going to be super hyper fixated and I would tell my family or my friends and like, you know, sometimes they would drop by and bring me food or like do little things for me to help make sure I stayed regulated <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And I think that's so helpful to have is like knowing, oh, that I can depend on other people. And like, if I am feeling, if I need to cry, if I need to call someone and cry, cause I'm just like hyper fixating on something and I can't figure it out. Like I need to be able to have access to those people as well. And that's where I feel like the love comes in because I think that when the hyper, when it goes from hyper focus to fixation is when the fear starts to grow. And so having other people to bring love back into you to say, you're doing your best, you're doing great. Like, why are you putting so much pressure on yourself to make it perfect, to control it to perfection? And like bringing that love back into yourself and that love back into the task as well. Yeah. It's that those outside reminders that like you are a person outside of this yes. task and these people yes. still love you. These people are still here, still here for you regardless of how it turns out. And yeah. kind of like what my partner with the Lego, it's these outside reminders that can snap you back into reality that, oh, why do I care so much about this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that reminds me too of something that I know both of us do is you can almost plan you can choose when you're going to hyperfixate a little bit and plan it out because something I know we've both said before is like, I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to choose to have a cleaning day unless I know that that's all I'm doing that yeah, day. Because absolutely. if I have to stop mid closet to yeah. go to an event 
no, I'm going to be super irritated. And then the closet's never going to get finished. So I think that's something to keep in mind too, is be intentional with like when you choose to take on the big projects that you know, you're likely to hyperfixate on. Yeah. And also like what I've been doing a lot lately too, is like, I like to break it into segments instead of like the whole room. It's like one space in the room because sometimes if I hyperfixate too much, like I said, I get tired. And if I know I'm not going to have enough time to hyperfixate on the whole space, but I still want to go to bed, I don't want clothes and stuff all over my bed. So like, I know that like my task is to get this full area done so then I can still have a good rest and like get to the other area when I need to yeah. so then I'm leaving more of a mess and then that because a mess just triggers my anxiety and that's yeah, not helpful yeah. for me and then and you it, can shame spiral into like well, yeah exactly yeah. exactly exactly so it's like how I show up for myself in that way and like understanding that I need breaks <laughs> otherwise I won't yeah otherwise I I won't complete all of my tasks and I'm just gonna end up spiraling (laughs) yeah I love that breaking it down into segments can be so helpful and then maybe give yourself a little reward in between segments you know like after you finish folding the laundry but you're not ready to put it away yet maybe you get to go watch your tv show or you know something along those lines yeah I like to reward myself with snacks and uh-huh. water it's the stimmy easiest stimmy snacks stimmy snacks I love me some stimmy snacks it's one of my favorite things and yeah I think planning for a hyperfixation is really helpful I mean like the fixation I think is what we're trying to get away from but we have to acknowledge that I it's still a part of us so yeah. I think that planning for it even like planning for high focus work days or when we you know we plan hyperfixation days to do stuff together for this uh-huh. and it's like we know hey all of our time is about to be dedicated to this <laughs> and this is what we're doing but like we also like to plan little activities I feel like that we do beforehand or we do after so that we can keep ourselves kind of regulated in in a time way and know that we're being efficient because eight hours straight of doing something is not <laughs> it's not helpful it's not gonna be as effective as you think it is so like allow yourself to take that break <laughs> yeah visual timers <laughs> Speaking of, I just got this new timer. Oh my god, I'll have to show it to you. Um, I haven't gotten batteries for it yet. <laughs> segment. I was going to preface with that. <laughs> I, I, I saw the timer. I thought it was really cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to get better at using timers. I've never been good at using timers. Like, I feel like my mom has been trying to, since I was a little kid, use timers for my ADHD. And to be honest, it gives me more stress. It gives me more anxiety. Like the thought of, oh my God, the timer's going to go off soon can send me into paralysis because I'm like, I don't have enough time to get all these things done. So then I stress yeah. myself out about it. And so I feel like the timer of music is so much more helpful for me, which is why I love doing things with hmm. music because music can, that's why I have like this, a couple of the same morning playlists because it, I know how many songs have passed, like what I'm at. So I, I have an idea of how much time I have to finish getting ready and like what I'm doing. So yeah. I prefer more like natural timers than like yeah. a literal timer, <laughs> but I got it anyways to like practice. I'm going to try again. We'll see. We'll right. see. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of grown to love timers and something that I end up doing is Well, first of all, to speak to natural timers, I think I do that sometimes. Like, for example, if I'm, if the dryer is drying, I look at it and I'm like, okay, it says it has 45 minutes. And I think for me, I, something that helps me not go into paralysis is reminding myself, I don't have to have all of these things done by the time the timer goes off. It's just helping me be aware of the time that is passing. And I'm just kind of trying to do as much as I can before the clothes are dry. And then whatever's left at the end, I can accept that and maybe figure out a new timer. But it's like, I think that's what helps me not go into paralysis is this is just giving me time awareness, not necessarily that I have to have it all done. And then most of the time I add another 15 minute timer to just keep doing what I'm doing. It's just helping me stay aware, you know? And see, that's where I, I think of it too, but I think it's the concept, I don't know, of my brain of a natural timer versus like an actual concrete timer that like my brain just like does not. Right? I mean, whatever works for you. Like, 
when if I have the dryer, I'm like, great, because then like if I'm up in my room reorganizing stuff, I'm like, then it one forces me to take a break. If I hear the the, the dryer stop, it's like, okay, I need to get up, I need to take a break. Right. And like my dryer is annoying. So like once it stops, it'll just keep beeping for a certain amount of time until you come open the door. So I won't forget it in there, which is also helpful. Right. <laughs> because I've, I've left a lot of things in the dryer and anyway. I can't tell you how many times I've had to rewash things because they smell moldy after yeah the it's just I'm just like sorry everybody your clothes are smelly as hell but, but you know like that's why I feel like days that I also do laundry I try to minimize the other things that I have to do like I try not to do too big of a task more of small things that I need to get done because I need to like make sure I have enough energy to fold my laundry and put it away. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I feel like as usual, the themes that we're coming to are like, know yourself, know yeah. the things that you're most likely to hyper fixate on, know how much energy you're willing to pour in, in any given day. Right. Yeah. And that can look different all the and time from day yourself. to day, from task to task. Yeah, absolutely. And listen to yourself, listen to your body. Like sometimes I feel like for me, mentally, I can be super ready to do a bunch of things. But physically, I know I don't have mm-hmm. all of the energy to complete all of the tasks I want. And so instead of trying to force myself to do it and then create shame because I didn't get it done, I just have to listen of like, okay, I need to slow down. I need to maybe take a couple things off of that list because I know physically my body's tired and my body wants to rest. And so I can't, I don't want to overdo it and increase the burnout effect um, right. for my body. Like I want to listen. And so I think just being mindful, just listening to yourself and yeah, listen to yourself. <laughs> yeah, listen to know yourself. thyself. <laughs> know thyself, have compassion for thyself, love thyself. <laughs> and And be willing to toy around with different, coping tools like the timers and and just keeping snacks around you you know it's to each their own you have to figure out what works uniquely for you but you have to be willing to yeah kind of have some trial and error times you know yeah absolutely but I think that with ADHD visual rewards are really helpful like even having a sticker board or like something like you know like they're like are kind of like little kids and I think we need to sometimes it's okay to treat ourselves like little kids and reward ourselves in the same way (laughs) treat yourself treat yourself yeah the year yes exactly every day (laughs) most (laughs) us treat yourself yes leather goods I love that you remembered that because I was like, there's there's more to this quote that I want to remember. And thank you for remembering it. <laughs> oh, now I'm going to have to watch that episode. Right? <laughs> um, and uh, that reminds me too, kind of wrapping back to TV shows and like the reason why we wanted to help people understand hyperfixation is because of the things that we hyperfixate on. Something fun to remember with TV shows and movies and stuff is why am I so drawn to these characters? Is there a way that this character is living their life that maybe I want to live my life as? Or is there a relationship that they have that I don't? And what does that mean about my needs? And how could I explore that a little bit more? And I think with TV shows and stuff, it, it doesn't always have to be negative. Like it might cross into a negative territory if you're like, you know, not sleeping because you're like binging a show so hard or you're like not paying attention to your life relationships and responsibility <laughs> if, you're binging, <laughs> if you're binging so hard. But to to put more of a light spin on it, just use that. There's there's an essence of your personality in the shows and the things that you're interested in. So let yeah. that be okay and just learn from it. How could I have more of that in my own life instead of watching it in a show or whatever? Yeah. But it also makes you think of emotion regulation, because I think that um, I've seen stuff where people say that if you're someone that rewatches a lot of shows, you have anxiety and you're rewatching the shows, what to regulate your anxiety, because Mm -hmm. you know what's going to happen. It's not unpredictable. And like, you know, what's going to happen. So like you can you don't have to brace yourself. Like you don't have to worry about unknown things happening that you have to figure out. Like, you know, what's going to happen. So it allows a calmer state for you. And so, um, I think that that's also just like an emotion to be mindful of. Cause if I'm rewatching some, because I think about like 
when we hyperfixate, it's like we've rewatched something a couple of times. So, <laughs> and I think that it's like, one, we just love details. So I think that we like to rewatch. I love to rewatch things because I love to, the little details and the little nuances is what I'm the looking foreshadowing. for. Foreshadowing, you see all Yeah, exactly. Like, like I just yeah. like want to <laughs> understand the process more. And I think it's more of like, oh, I love that. That's such a great concept or like how they did that. Like I love, it's kind of like a different way for me to nerd out about things. Yeah. Um, but it's also being mindful of like, oh, am I hyperfixating and rewatching something to calm my anxiety? Which I definitely do. I definitely do. But mm-hmm. sometimes I do rewatch something because there, like you were saying, there's a character or there's a lesson that the character is learning that um, can be really helpful. Like for me, I love anime. And when I'm feeling kind of like I'm going through something and I need more, I feel like a lot of animes are like, you know, you know, find your inner power, use your inner power to do whatever you need to accomplish, blah, blah, blah. And whenever I'm feeling a little like down in my power or like I need some motivation for my internal flame, I love rewatching certain animes because I love the fight and I love their energy of like them reconnecting with themselves and like just really growing and just like going into in the work ethic. Like I feel like it sometimes if I'm feeling it's stuck in a paralysis state where I'm not doing action, watching them take action in their lives sometimes motivates me to take action if that yes. makes sense. so like I don't know just thinking about all of those things like ah, yeah <laughs> yeah and I think that speaks beautifully to this balance of like fixation versus focus like hyper fixation versus hyper focus is like and same with the tv shows and the movies is you can find inspiration and meaning from it without it being a negative you know absolutely yeah it- that's what art is for like that's what I feel like that's why I love art that's why I love movies and paintings and anything that allows people to express themselves in a creative way because we learn a little bit more about other people and we we relate it allows us to relate in a way and understand that we're not alone in the world and there's a lot of love and a lot of people experiencing what you have experienced so yeah yeah. (laughs) beautiful (laughs) And that's just that. <laughs> <laughs> so what affirmations come to mind when you think about hyperfixations? Um, I allow myself to flow between hyperfocus and hyperfixation. And when I find myself in a hole of fixation, I allow myself to return to my body and reground and feel. Hmm. I love that because I always think of allow to me speaks to your solar plexus, which yeah. is like willpower. So it's like that balance of willpower, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. action too. That's like your solar plexus mm. action as well. So I think that it's very fitting. Yeah. I love that. Hmm. I'm kind of being reminded of like something I said similar to what I said last time that I allow myself to practice the routines and the things that I mean I'll shift it a little bit from what I said last time but I I allow myself to practice the tools that I know support my hyper focus mm-hmm. to prevent going into fixation and again prevent is a strong word because it's like if it happens it happens and there's there can be some beauty in that right but um yeah I I kind of just want to echo yours your affirmation because I really love that yeah thanks yeah I think it's just like letting yourself because I think that if we don't that's when we get back into the control piece so in the shame yeah shame and so like if we just stay in that state of flow, whether and that's why I said flow between focus and fixation, because like what it can start off as one or the other, and maybe like we might go into some fixation, but go back into flow. And like, I feel like it's just like, you never know really what's going to happen, where it's going to take you. So yeah. And both yeah. are okay. Absolutely. And the tools and allow yourself to learn new tools. I like what you said though, about the tools. Like, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Well, well. I- yeah 
we definitely had a little bit of the fight hyperfixation energy going talking about that and now I'm coming down off of it like whoo okay okay I love that you said that because that is one other thing I feel like when I'm hyperfixated on something I talk really fast <laughs> oh I mean absolutely yeah like my brain is going a million miles a minute and I'm just like I just have to get all of my thoughts about right. this <laughs> well we hope that this was validating for some of you and if there's any questions or you know any follow-ups for us please let us know but we hope you have fun exploring your hyperfixations and finding the balance to hyperfocus yes have a great magical day bye, bye. spiritually divergent if this conversation resonated with you please share it with your friends and your community and be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening if you want to follow us on instagram we're at spiritually divergent if you have a topic you want to hear more about or any suggested guests for us send us an email at spiritually divergent at gmail.com And we will include all of that information in the show notes as well. We'd love to hear from you as we begin building this community. Bye.